Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 47, When You're Ready to Change. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. everybody, welcome. I am so happy to be here talking to you today. I'm really excited for this episode. I think I might say that almost every time, but it's true. I love teaching. I've always loved teaching. Little random side note, I actually got my bachelor's degree in teaching nearly 23 years ago. So I've always loved being in front of a class and teaching just about anyone, but I especially love teaching these concepts because of how much they have helped me in my own life and because I've seen them help so many of my clients and friends and family members as I've had the opportunity to share these tools with them as well. So when I say I'm excited to be here with you, I truly mean it and I really appreciate those of you who are out there listening and learning and applying what you learn to your own life. I believe that when people use these tools, to improve their own life experience, they can't help but turn around and contribute themselves to making the world a better place. So thank you for being here today. I just love every one of you for listening. Okay, let's get going. Today we are talking about change. And a little while back, I put an episode out about navigating change. And that was more about big life changes, both the ones you want and the ones you don't necessarily want and how to handle them with confidence. Well, today I want to talk about what to do when we want to make change within ourselves. And I see this a lot in coaching. That's why people come to me. They are looking to make changes in their lives. And Tony Robbins said, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And this describes a lot of my clients. They're kind of done with where they are, tired of feeling stuck in the same habits and patterns um, for years, and they're ready to move forward and finally get the life that they really want. And they've realized that trying to change the people in their lives, their outside circumstances, it doesn't work very well most of the time, and that any change they want to make really needs to start from within. Any true lasting change is going to begin with reevaluating the thoughts and feelings that are driving the actions and habits and attitudes and results in their lives that they want to change. And so today, I would like to share with you some thoughts about change and help you get going in the right direction with whatever changes um, you may want to make in your life. So first, let me start out with a question. Why do you want to change? A lot of us want to change because we think it will make us more valuable or worthy of love and acceptance. If we can just change to fit a certain mold or be a certain way, then people will like us. Then people will think we're important or capable. Then they will be accepting of us and then we can love and accept and value ourselves. Did you know that this is the worst reason to want to change? Because if this is the reason to please others or to get their validation or praise, I will tell you right now that it doesn't work because some people aren't even going to notice and others might notice but still not be interested in giving you the love and acceptance that you're seeking. And some other people might actually notice and give you approval or love or praise. But if your worth is dependent on those things coming from outside of you, it will never be enough because deep down, you won't really believe it. 
And so you'll think that you need to go out and get even more validation from others, and it turns into this vicious cycle of you desperately seeking love and approval, but never quite being satisfied even when it's given. And that's why trying to make changes with the motivation of feeling more worthy or valuable doesn't really work. It's a losing battle. You can't become more worthy of love or acceptance. Um, I use this quote in my last episode, but I love it from Ardeth G. Cap. She said, we did not come to this earth to gain our worth. We brought it with us. Ingrain that in your mind and into your heart. Your worth is unchanging. You are lovable just the way you are. You don't need to change a thing to be more valuable in the eyes of others or in the eyes of your heavenly parents. Loving and accepting yourself as you are is foundational to your mental and emotional health. And if you need help with that first step, please come find me. (laughs) I will help you with this. It is so important. So if we're already valuable and loved as we are, why would we even want to change? I was teaching a Relief Society lesson on this subject a few weeks ago, and I asked this question, and I love the answer that one of the ladies gave. Um, She related it to parenting and how she loves her kids unconditionally, just as they are. Um, They don't have to earn her love, right? But she also loves seeing them learn new things and grow and progress and develop talents and skills and become even more of who they are. And I love that idea that that's not through our behavior or accomplishments that we gain value. We already have that. But as literal children of our heavenly parents, our spirits crave growth. We crave knowledge and experiences and expansion as part of our divine DNA. One of my favorite quotes, I've shared this one before, um, is from Michael A. Dunn, and he said, As eternally progressing beings, we are predisposed to take on challenges. That is an underpinning of God's plan of happiness. So you and I are divinely engineered to be dynamic and not static. Being in motion is requisite for progression. So what does that mean to be dynamic and not static? Dynamic is defined as being in a state of constant change, activity, or progress. So if we are engineered to be dynamic, we are designed for change, not because we aren't good or worthy enough, but because there is more out there for us to learn and experience. This kind of change isn't motivated by shame. It's motivated by understanding our potential as children of God, the creator of the universe. This kind of change is empowering, it's transformative, and not only blesses you as an individual, but it increases your ability and your capacity to bless others, to be an influence for good and an instrument in God's hands. Sometimes it's easy to forget that perspective in this world where so much of eternity, what happened before this life and what is to come in the next life, it's been forgotten or it isn't even really our focus most of the time, right? Um, Wendy Nelson gave a fabulous talk all about change at BYU many, many years ago. And she shared the story of two little caterpillars from the book, Hope for the Flowers. And I love the way that she tells the story. So I'm just going to (laughs) quote straight from her talk. It's a little long, but it is so good. So she says, a story is told of a caterpillar named Yellow, who was trying to find out what she should be doing with her life. In her wanderings, she discovered another caterpillar seemingly caught in some gauzy, hairy filament. Concerned, she asked if she could help. He explained that this was all part of the process of becoming a butterfly. When she heard the word butterfly, her whole insides leapt. But what is a butterfly? The cocooned caterpillar explained, it's what you are meant to become. 
Yellow was intrigued, but a bit defiant. How can I believe there's a butterfly inside you or me when all I see is a fuzzy worm? On further reflection, she pensively asked, how does one become a butterfly? And the answer? You must want to fly so much that you are willing to give up being a caterpillar. Sister Nelson goes on to say, I love that. How does one become a butterfly? You must want to fly so much that you are willing to give up being a caterpillar. So what are you willing to give up being so that you can fly? Your spirit wants to fly. Your spirit remembers your pre-mortal assignments and aspirations. What are you willing to give up believing so that you can be all you really are, all that you committed to be? Is it time to give up your caterpillar-like lifestyle? Is it time to give up living beneath yourself? Time to give up the thoughts, feelings, or behaviors that keep you groveling on the ground when you could be flying, soaring even? Is it time to lift your sights and cocoon yourself away from the old caterpillar way of life so that your real self can emerge? I love this analogy. There's no shame in being a caterpillar, right? But caterpillars were not designed to stay as they are throughout their whole lives. They were created to change and become. And so were we. We were created to grow and learn and change and ultimately become like God. Dieter F. Uchtdorf also talked about this idea of more being available to us than we realize. He said, we live beneath our privileges when we fail to partake of the feast of happiness, peace, and joy that God grants so bountifully. We can be satisfied with a diminished experience and settle for experiences far below our privileges. Or we can partake of an abundant feast of spiritual opportunity and universal blessings. So, Why aren't we living up to our privileges? Why are we settling for the life of a caterpillar when there is more available to us? Well, one of the reasons is that we have a brain that is intent on keeping us alive, which means keeping us safe, which means constantly looking out for danger, for ways to conserve our energy, for ways to seek out things that are fun and easy and avoid things that require effort or discomfort. Thank you, brain. (laughs) And so whenever you feel inspired and decide you want to try to change something in your life, whenever you try to start a new routine or habit or simply believe a new thought or idea, your brain is going to put up resistance. Your brain doesn't like change. It likes predictability and comfort and ease, even when what is predictable and comfortable and easy isn't necessarily serving you. So this is a good thing to know that resistance doesn't mean that what you're trying to change is wrong. It doesn't mean that you aren't doing it right, and it doesn't mean that you can't change. I've heard a lot of women say things like, I'm just stuck in my old ways, or I've been this way, the way that I am for too long. It's too hard for me to change. And I am here to tell you that that is not true. One of the greatest discoveries in the science of the mind in the last few decades is that we actually can change. Our brains have what is called neuroplasticity, meaning that our habits of thinking aren't set in stone. They can change. Now, change can become more challenging as we get older. Children's brains, out of necessity, have more neuroplasticity than adults, to be sure. But as adults, we have the ability to change if we want to. I love this quote from Elizabeth Thornton. She says, because of the power of neuroplasticity, you can, in fact, reframe your world and rewire your brain so that you are more objective. You have the power to see things as they are so that you can respond thoughtfully, deliberately, and effectively to everything you experience. 
So it can be done. You can change if you want to. And I've seen many of my clients make remarkable changes in their lives by learning to rewire their brains. Now, science tells us that by the time you reach the age of 35, which interestingly enough is about the beginning of midlife, 95% of who you are is a memorized set of behaviors, reactions, habits, attitudes, beliefs, and perceptions that function very similar to a computer program. Some of this programming is helpful and serves you, but other parts of this programming Um, This is what we kind of talked about last time, right? It can work to sabotage your success, your relationships, and your happiness. And these behaviors and habits and beliefs that we memorize are then reinforced by the life we have created around them, by our environment, right? So we wake up in the morning and get out of bed and we go through essentially the same, um, you know, habits and actions. We see the same people, think many of the same thoughts, feel many of the same emotions. We get in these routines of living without even realizing how automatic and repetitive they really are. We go through our days continually reinforcing the same thoughts and feelings and actions that we've been having for years, and then we wonder why things never change or why it's so hard to change when we want to. And Joe Dispenza calls this thinking equal to our environment. When we don't change one of the those elements, our thoughts or feelings or actions, it's just about impossible for anything else to change. And so if we want to change these behaviors, these attitudes, these habits and beliefs, we have to change our programming. It all starts in our mind. Joe Dispenza said that to change is to think greater than how we feel. To change is to act greater than the familiar feelings of the memorized self. I'm going to say that again because that's really powerful. To change is to think greater than how we feel. To change is to act greater than the familiar feelings of the memorized self. And this idea of thinking greater than we feel has been one of the most powerful agents for change in my own life. Our feelings, our emotions are triggered by electrical impulses, right? Thoughts in our brain. But a lot of the time, especially with our highly charged, memorized emotions and reactions, doesn't always seem that way. For example, If I'm offended by someone and I replay that event over and over in my mind and memorize that feeling in relation to what that person said or did, the next time I see that person, I will most likely have an instant emotional reaction of bitterness or resentment. And that feeling is so automatic because of how much I've ruminated on it and practiced it, right? That it seems like that person just forced that feeling on me by walking into the room. But It was the rehearsed thought that I had about that person, even if it lasted for just a split second that caused that emotional reaction, not the person. And that feeling is going to determine the action I take, how I interact with that person, and how I think about that person, and even how I talk about that person to others. And I know from personal experience that I am not acting from my best self when I am feeling bitter or resentful. These feelings never create the results I want or help me to show up as the person I really want to be. These emotions, um, they may seem totally justified, right? But they aren't serving me in the long run. They actually bring about the opposite of what I want to create in my life. And so because these feelings are so practiced, so automatic, whether they come up or not, isn't really going to be within our control. The first thing we notice is generally our emotional reaction, not what's going on in our head that caused that emotional reaction, right? 
But when we start to get some awareness around this, that's where we get to take control. It's not really a problem that we had our first reaction, that that's what came up for us, right? But it is important what we do with that reaction. This is where we have the chance to think greater than how we feel. And this applies to all kinds of emotions that come up for us. Anxiety, overwhelm, self-doubt, jealousy, irritation. When we gain this awareness and learn how to think greater than the emotion that we're feeling, that's when change begins to happen in our behaviors, our attitudes, our habits. And that's when we start to experience genuine transformation and reprogramming in our minds and in our lives. So... I want to share with you an example of how this can look. I use this story a lot when I'm presenting to groups of women or teenagers in workshops or I have speaking opportunities, Um, and it's really effective in illustrating this concept of thinking greater than how you feel and using your agency to put yourself back in the driver's seat when your circumstance or emotions seem outside of your control. And so this experience comes from Sister Joy Jones of the General Primary Presidency. Um, And it was given in a talk um, from a BYU Women's Conference a few years ago entitled, Look Unto Him in Every Thought. And it's a really beautiful talk. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go listen to it. So what I usually do is share this story with the group I'm presenting to, and then we put it into a model. And if you're not familiar with the self-coaching model, it's a tool that is super simple and really helpful in helping you see how what is going on in your mind is impacting the rest of your life. So there are five components to the model. I'll go over it really quick. We start with a circumstance, which is simply a fact. Something that happened or is happening in your life could be something that that was said to you, an event that took place, uh, might be the condition of your house, uh, your child's actions, it could be the weather outside, even an emotion that you're feeling can be a circumstance. And so a circumstance is something in your life that triggers an electrical impulse or thought in your brain, which leads us to the next line of the model, and that is the thought or thoughts that you have about the circumstance. A thought is simply a sentence in your brain that is your own personal perception or interpretation of what is happening. Now, there are some circumstances that we have control over. We can change them if we want to, right? But there are a lot of circumstances and people in our lives that we actually have no control over. And this line, the thought line, is where our agency comes in. It's where we can gain leverage over the circumstance that may be outside of our control to change. We may not be able to choose what's happening, but we can certainly become more intentional about how we are choosing to think about and perceive it. Now here's where it gets interesting. The thoughts we have in our brains release chemicals and hormones into our bodies that cause us to feel emotions, which are actually just reactions and sensations that we feel depending on the chemical that was released. So as we talked about, sometimes it seems like the feeling comes first. And I've heard different theories on this, but I believe from my own experience that most of the time when an emotion comes up automatically in a certain circumstance or when I see a certain person, it's because that emotion has been rehearsed and reinforced over and over in my mind. If I walk into the house and it's a mess, I might feel frustrated as soon as I see it. But that's not that's because of the thoughts and beliefs I've had for years about my messy house, right? Thoughts like it shouldn't be messy or that it should stay clean longer after I tidy up or that a messy house means something negative about me. 
It's my perceptions and interpretations that are causing my feelings, but oftentimes we've practiced those same thoughts so much that they become quick and automatic and we don't even notice them factoring into the equation. We think that feeling is just happening to us and coming at us from out of the blue. Um, now, when what we are feeling is important because our feelings, our emotions, they determine our actions. And even if our specific action doesn't change, um, you can clean your house angrily or happily, right? Your emotions are going to affect the quality of your actions and your experience in it. Which leads us to the last component of the model, which is the result. What happened in your life because of your actions? So I'm going to share this experience from Sister Jones with you, um, and then we're going to quickly break it down into those five components and plug it into the model and show you how this works. You ready? Okay, here we go. Sister Joan says, I was driving to the temple one lovely spring morning. I had my scripture CDs playing. The sky was a glorious blue. The birds seemed to be singing. Oh, how lovely was the morning in four-part harmony. And I was on top of the world as I drove down the street. It was just one of those rare, perfect mornings until I suddenly noticed a number of cars ahead of me being pulled over by the police. Before I knew what was happening, I saw flashing red and blue lights in my rearview mirror. I was caught in a speed trap and I was guilty. My heart sank, my pride was dashed, and unfortunately, my biggest worry was that someone I knew would see me. It was little consolation that I wasn't the only one being subjected to such humiliation from the tyranny of the local police. As the very kind officer finished writing out my ticket, he handed it to me and cheerfully directed, You have a good day, ma'am. Have a good day? How could I have a good day? I was amazed at how quickly feelings of darkness, failure, and shame washed over me. My immediate thought was, how can I go to the temple now? I'm not worthy to be in the Lord's house. I turned my car around and began slowly driving toward home. My own thoughts were separating me from the Spirit. My mind quickly began listing all my personal weaknesses as I mentally beat myself up. I had truly been enticed. I had made a mistake, one I could make restitution for and learn from, yet I was choosing to allow myself to slip into darkness. But in this one particular instance, instead of continuing in this negative berating, just as in the story of the prodigal son, I came to myself. I decided to pour out my heart in prayer to express my love to my Heavenly Father, to ask Him to forgive me for choosing darkness after getting the ticket, and to help me see with spiritual eyes what was really happening. After all, isn't repenting going from darkness to light? As Ezekiel said, make you a new heart and a new spirit. In those few moments, a loving Father helped me see that I was allowing lies to enter into my personal temple. Receiving a speeding ticket had nothing to do with my worth as a daughter of God. In that moment, I longed even more for the light, refuge, and peace of the Lord's temple. I turned my car around and, through my tears, was once again on my way to my original destination, watching the speedometer with great care. She says, my temple experience that day was tender. I felt Heavenly Father's love and peace in such rich abundance. I realized what I could have so easily missed had the Spirit not helped me see what was really happening. Okay, that's such a great story, right? Let's break this down. And first, we start with her unintentional model or her first automatic response to the situation. So her circumstance was that she got pulled over and received a speeding ticket. And what was her initial thought about it? Her initial thought was, I'm not worthy to be in the Lord's house. Now, how did that make her feel? She said she had instant feelings of darkness, failure, and shame. 
So when we put this in the model, it's helpful to just focus on one thought and one emotion at a time. So in this case, I'm going to take a guess and say that shame was probably the strongest of those three. That's a pretty universal human emotion and one that I could easily see being triggered by that, by the thought I'm not worthy to be in the Lord's house. So we'll go with that one. Now, what did the shame cause her to do? She says her actions were to start driving towards home, to mentally beat herself up, and to slip into mental and emotional darkness. Not really actions that served her very well, do you think? And so the result of all this was that she was actually distancing herself from the Lord and from the temple. So as I said, the first model is what we call the unintentional or default model. And this is our survival brain in action. This is where many of our first reactions come from. And they are great if we're trying to survive and get ourselves out of real threat or danger, but they are not helpful in most situations that we find ourselves in in our everyday lives and routines. So it's important to know that you don't have to take that first reaction at face value. You can defer to your higher brain which is responsible for logic and reasoning and decision-making, and you can question those automatic thoughts and feelings and then decide if they are true, if they are helpful, and if you want to keep them. And this is exactly what Sister Jones did. So let's take a look at what her intentional model was or what she decided to think and feel on purpose. Now, her circumstance didn't change. That's key here, right? She still had that speeding ticket in her hand. But let's take a look at what she did have the power to change. Sister Jones said that like the prodigal son, she came to herself. She had a moment of clarity of seeing her situation as it really was. This reminds me of what Viktor Frankl said about the space between stimulus and response, right? That we can take a step back and observe ourselves and our circumstances from a more neutral place. And from there, we can decide what is really true. And instead of just spiraling out of control with that first interpretation that our brain throws at us, we can question it and decide whether or not that's the response we want to continue with. And then from there, we can make adjustments if we want to. So that's what she did. And when she realized that this was not how she wanted to feel about the situation, she prayed. She asked Heavenly Father to see the situation with new eyes and to give her new thoughts to think instead. And as she prayed, she began to have a change of heart and new thoughts began entering her mind. And she had the thought that receiving a speeding ticket has nothing to do with my worth as a daughter of God. And in that moment, her feelings changed. She felt loved and worthy and she felt a longing to be in the Lord's house. And so what did she do from that place? She acted on those feelings and turned her car around and went to the temple. And what was the result of that? She said, my temple experience that day was tender. I felt Heavenly Father's love and peace in rich abundance. I realized what I could have so easily missed had the Spirit not helped me see what was really happening. So what are you missing out on in your life? Because you are believing the false assumptions that your brain is giving you on default without even thinking to question them. That is where your power is. That is where real change happens. When you can step back from your circumstances and see yourself and other people and your situation with new eyes, you can change the way that you're feeling, you change what you're doing and how you're showing up, and you change the results you are getting. Sometimes we think 
that if we want to feel better in our lives, we have to overhaul, right? With big changes to our circumstances from the outside. But actually the most effective lasting change comes when we make little shifts internally. When we can identify the thinking that is creating our current results in any area of our lives, our health, our relationships, our success, our confidence, our happiness, our relationship with God. And then we can make little tweaks and changes that will create new beliefs, new feelings, new actions, and new results. So I just want in closing to go back to the little story I referred to earlier about the caterpillar. (laughs) We all know that to become a butterfly, a caterpillar has to undergo significant change. But did you know that inside the chrysalis, a caterpillar isn't just growing wings. It's actually releasing enzymes that dissolve its body into a liquid. And from that state, the caterpillar is entirely rebuilt into a new creature. And I believe that this can happen for us humans as well. We don't have to stay stuck in our old caterpillar patterns and ways of life. We know that there is more for us. We can become new creatures with new beliefs, new habits, new actions, as we learn how to put off the natural man, how to set aside our carnal thoughts and perceptions and assumptions, and take on new ways of thinking and being. Just like the caterpillar wasn't created to stay a caterpillar, we were created for change, for growth and progression, and for a higher purpose. But just like the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly doesn't happen in an instant, change is incremental. It generally happens by small degrees. Some parts of change are hard and messy, and most of the time real change takes a lot of faith and perseverance. But change is also beautiful and joyful and amazing. And the best part about it is, is that our Heavenly Parents and our Savior are there to help us. We haven't been left to do this on our own. When we partner with them, we will be even more successful in making the changes that we desire. I'd love to leave you with that quote that I shared earlier from Elizabeth Thornton. She said, because of the power of neuroplasticity, you can, in fact, reframe your world and rewire your brain so that you are more objective. You have the power to see things as they are so that you can respond thoughtfully, deliberately, and effectively to everything you experience. Now, if you want help with this, I offer free one-on-one coaching sessions. We spend an hour doing exactly this, teaching you how to rewire your brain so that you can respond thoughtfully, deliberately, and effectively to any challenge you are facing. These calls are so much fun. I love helping you get leverage over your brain and start approaching your life with more clarity and intention. So if you love the concepts that I teach here in this podcast, this free session is for you. We will get to work on helping you get control of your mind so that you can feel more in control of your life. You can sign up on my calendar um, if you go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com or come find me on Instagram at AnnetteJonesCoaching and DM me and we'll get one scheduled for you. All right, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. Happy Halloween in a few days. I hope you have some fun things planned and I will meet you back here again soon. Have a good one. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session where I'll help you see how the tools I teach on this podcast can be applied directly to your own personal challenges. You can also find information on classes I teach and get on my email list for a weekly dose of inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I'll see you there.